Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. As I've mentioned several times already, there are three main divisions in this epistle. In chapters 1 to 7, Paul explains his recent conduct and offers a brief defense of his ministry. In chapters 8 to 9, he calls on them to re-engage with the Jerusalem offering. And then in chapters 10 to 13, he vigorously defends his exercise of apostolic authority among them. That's where we are now. There is a definite change of tone as we move out of that middle section about the Jerusalem offering into this new section. In that section, Paul was encouraging them. I know you're going to do what's right. I'm excited to see what it will produce. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Here now, however, Paul sounds resolved. I am going to do what needs to be done to get you back on track as a church. And I'd really rather work with you on that as opposed to working against you. But one way or the other, we will get it done. Paul's saying here, sin's got to be rooted out. Rebellion has to be put down. Worldliness must be stamped out. Paul is very much aware that in church planting, as in wallpapering, the first strip has to go on straight, or every subsequent strip and layer will be increasingly askew. We can't have that. So we need to get some stuff sorted out. That's the tone here in the final chapters. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. In verses 1 to 11 here in this chapter, Paul is speaking to the members of the Corinthian church who have discounted his leadership because of his abruptly aborted visit that occasioned the severe letter. You recall, Paul made a quick stopover to put down a little rebellion that was flaring up, but it turned out that actually the, the flames of that rebellion were more entrenched than he had realized. So rather than have a full showdown at that time, Paul made a tactical retreat and then wrote them the severe letter so that they could get things sorted out themselves before he came to visit them in person. That was a strategic decision, but some in the church interpreted that as a sign of weakness. They were saying, you know, Paul talks a big game in his letters, 
but in person he runs away from any opposition and pushback. Is that what you think is going on here, Paul says? That's not it at all. I am merely being careful in the exercise of my authority. I want to use my authority to build you up, not to tear you down. So I gave you time to make some adjustments. But if those adjustments haven't been made by the time I arrive, then I will make them. I'll deploy the authority God has given me. I'll tear down what needs to be torn down, and I will build up what needs to be built up. Now, it goes without saying that Paul is speaking symbolically, metaphorically here. There's no threat of actual violence. He makes that clear in verses 4 and 5. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So he's not going to taser anybody. He, he's he's going to demolish their foolish and lofty arguments. He's going to bring the full power of his towering intellect and divine inspiration to bear. He's going to destroy all false doctrine and evict all contrary opinion and, and, and conviction and action from the church. He's going to bring them into alignment with the apostolic gospel, which is the gospel of the crucified Christ. You're, you're trying to have Christ plus worldly power, Paul says. You're, you're trying to have Christ plus cultural cachet. You've got all these extra branches sticking off your gospel tree, and I'm going to come and prune them all off. Or you could trim them all off yourself prior to my arrival, but one way or another, we're going to bring this congregation back into alignment with the cross. That's, that's the pitch. It's going to get done. And if it has to be done through the application of authority, Paul says, then so be it. Verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Now, I mentioned that in verses 1 to 11, Paul is speaking to the members of the church in Corinth. He's addressing the insiders, as it were. But here in verses 12 to 18, he turns his attention to the outsiders, the other leaders who were attempting to cut them out of the wider Christian herd, you might say. They're false apostles, agents of Satan, he'll say even in the next chapter. Here in chapter 10, Paul begins to point out the worldliness of these intruders. In essence, he's saying, think about what you know about the way of Christ. Think, for example, of how careful Jesus was when it came to providing his credentials. He didn't beat people over the head and say, hey, I'm the son of God for crying out loud. You just shut up and do what I say. But here we have these people who are constantly giving you their resume and constantly sharing with you their bona fides. Is that what you would expect of people who truly represent Jesus? After all, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 8 to 12, you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Closed quote. So Jesus said to be really careful with titles and commendations because they lead to pride and the desire to dominate. Instead, you should just serve out of your gifts and out of the abilities that you've been given. And, and, and so therefore, when people try to bowl you over with their credentials and their letters of commendation, which they pass around from one so-called leader to another, 
Be on guard, Paul says, because that is not the way of Jesus. When when people pressed Jesus for his credentials, what, what did he do? Even when his friends and allies asked for his credentials, he would simply point to the scriptures and point to the fruit resulting from his ministry. Do you remember when, when uh, John the Baptist sent envoys to Jesus? There was a lot of back and forth, actually, between John's ministry and Jesus' ministry in the very early days. Several of Jesus' disciples actually started out under John. So, so these were friendly envoys. But even to them, Jesus said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's Matthew 11, 4-6. So that's how Jesus did it. <laughs> he, he, was, he was careful, very careful, not to try to overpower people with his credentials. And the subtle implication here, and maybe not so subtle, is that Paul, who is an actual apostle, is acting far more like Jesus in being careful and even deferential in the use of his authority. He, he, he isn't quick to drop the hammer. And that's actually been a source of criticism from some of the folks in Corinth. But Paul is following Jesus. And remember, Jesus did in fact say, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight to 29. Jesus didn't batter people, Paul says. So I'm not going to batter people. Jesus invited, Jesus welcomed, Jesus taught, Jesus helped. That's what I'm going to do. And, and you need to look at, at these leaders that you're attracted to, and, and you need to measure them against the Jesus standard. When they act like worldly leaders promoting themselves and asserting their power, they demonstrate their lack of understanding. And, and of course, when you follow them, you demonstrate your lack of understanding because these people have nothing in common with the way of the cross. Verse 13, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So real leaders simply work the corner of the field that they've been assigned to. They, they fulfill their mission and calling. They aren't ambitious in the worldly sense. They know who they are, they know what they were told to do, and they do it. Of, co of course, Paul has been teaching the Corinthians about this very approach to leadership for some time. Back in 1 Corinthians 4, 1-2, he said, This is how you should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So Paul wasn't looking for a lot of praise or ceremony or deferential treatment. He wasn't asking for a brightly colored robe or a pointy hat. He says, I'm a farm worker. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm an estate manager, I guess. The, the master assigned me oversight of one of his fields. And I mean to greet him with a magnificent harvest upon his return. So let's get at it. That was his attitude. And to describe himself as an overseer did not mean that Paul was above getting his hands dirty. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul was a first in the field, last out of the field kind of foreman. I'll get my hands dirty, and I'll outwork the lot of you, he says. Don't worry about that. So authority doesn't mean that you don't have to work hard. Authority means you've been given responsibility for a portion of the vineyard. 
but you still have to work. In fact, you should be working as hard or harder than everyone under your care. You should set an example. But you do have authority to move workers here or there, to organize schedules, to deploy resources. That's the job, Paul says. We were sent here to this Corinthian corner of the vineyard to plow the ground, sow the seed, pull the weeds, and produce a harvest. And that's exactly what I mean to do. Verse 14. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Now, again, when we're reading these letters, it, it often does feel like we're listening to one side of a cell phone conversation. We hear Paul saying, no, I'm not overextending myself by establishing a gospel work here in Corinth. And we can't help but wonder what was said to him that would cause him to answer in that way. We're, we're guessing, but we're not guessing blindly. Somebody must have said at some point, you know, who is this Paul guy? Obviously, he's a very educated Jewish fellow and, and, and yes, studied under Gamaliel and, 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 yes, widely considered an apostle. But what in the world is he doing out here? Shouldn't we have an apostle who better understands Roman culture? Well, somebody must have said that. Maybe multiple somebody said that. Because here Paul is saying, no, we haven't overextended ourselves. In fact, this is precisely the field that I was assigned to by the master. And, of course, we remember that this was indeed part of the Lord's original calling upon Paul. In Acts 9, when Ananias was commanded to go and lay hands on Paul, the Lord said to him, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Acts 9, 15. So it was Jesus' idea for Paul to be out here breaking new ground in Gentile territory. He's not overextending. He, he is working right in the center of God's will and commission for him. I was sent here, and I was given a job to do, Paul says, and I mean to do it. Verse 15, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. Now, let's just pause on that for a second. Paul seems to be saying here, following up on what he just said in verse 14 about not being overextended or overreaching, he's saying, we do not extend beyond limit into the labors or territory of others. Paul Barnett says here, from these verses emerges a principle of missionary demarcation among the apostles, close quote. And of course, we, we see something of that in Acts 16, when Paul was intending to go up into Bithynia, and he was resisted in some sense. So Acts 16, 7 to 10 says, And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Close quote. Well, that's very interesting because the epistle that we refer to as 1 Peter was addressed to, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. So obviously, that area was to become Peter's territory, and Paul was not to extend himself into that corner of the field, right? You, you don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. So there were boundaries. Peter was going to be up there working in, in Pontus, Bithynia, and, and so Paul is over here now working in Achaia and Macedonia, and he's been careful to observe and respect those boundaries. Carrying on with verse 15, we read, 
But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. So Paul is saying here that rather than spreading into the territory of others, his hope actually is for a deeper and more fruitful ministry among them. He'd like to bring them to the point where they were actually reproducing into other fields. That's the goal. So he says, let's get you producing fruit. I'm I'm not trying to steal fruit from some other apostle's ministry. I'm trying to cultivate fruit among you. Let's get you going, and then let's get you reaching out and planting churches where the gospel has not yet been heard. That's what I'm interested in, he says. Now, he begins to bring this paragraph in for a landing in these last two verses. Verse 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, there's no real uh, precise English equivalent for the Greek word that is translated here as boast. If you look it up in the dictionary, you're going to be told that it means to glory, comma, boast, to boast of a person or thing, to undertake a complimentary testimony to, to rejoice or exalt. Okay, so in, in what sense is Paul using the word here? It appears that Paul is qualifying all that he has said about his own ministry. Yes, this is the field assigned to him. Yes, he has been working very hard in it. Yes, we're starting to see some significant fruit. And yes, he is confident of a great harvest. But, he says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So let's give credit where credit is due, Paul is saying. Everything I do has been done by the grace that God alone supplies. And again, this is exactly what Paul said about himself back in 1 Corinthians 15.10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is all God from start to finish, Paul says. So if you want to get excited about something, if you if you want to give thanks, if you want to offer praise, point it all that way, right? Point it all towards God. Let the one who boasts, boast on the Lord. Verse 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Paul Barnett, again, is very helpful here. He says succinctly, self-commendation in Christian ministry is excluded. The Lord commends his servants for ministry by the fruits of their ministry. (laughs) Close quote. And thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile one is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. 
Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.